So over at the seminary, as with schools all over the world at this time of year, we were ramping up. And one of the things we do every year is we get the faculty together for what we call a retreat before the students get back. And I sort of put that in quotes because largely it's just working through business. Um, this year we got a new copier and part of the agenda was teaching everyone the code, <laughs> that kind of stuff. And there was something in me that just said, this is absurd, right? It, it took me eight years to get there, but this is absurd. And I knew that we had to do something a little bit different. And there's a person who's been seeing me on and off over the last several years, someone who loves the church, actually at one time worked for the church, but has been a very active volunteer themselves and their family, and really has just had a lot of really bad experiences. Beautiful ones too, so this isn't gonna be a downer, but to be brutally honest, and some of the worst experiences she's had have been with leadership in the church, many of them pastors and diocesan priests. Now, I'm not talking about the horrors of abuse crises, but abusive encounters nevertheless. Treating employees disdainfully, not allowing others to be part of decision-making, rudeness or distancing, just basically not showing basic human respect. And sometimes that can happen in an organization where someone has so much power. Because of canon law, the parish priest is entrusted with an extraordinary amount of governance. That's not theology. That's governance through the code of law. And I'm mentioning this simply as a way of saying the ripples through that behavior, as unforgivable as they are or unexcusable, the ripples are huge. Because this is someone who's loved the church her whole life, taught her family, it's done everything possible to support, and yet she's had these experiences. So much so that even wrestling with the question of, should I even stay in this church? Or should I look somewhere else? So I actually had this person come in to our faculty retreat because I knew I needed to hear her story in front of our faculty, and I wanted our faculty hear it as well. Because every time a priest comes out from ours or any other seminary and behaves in that way, we've all failed. And we shouldn't hide from that fact. We've all failed as a faculty. And in some sense, we've failed as a larger church. What you hold bound on earth will be bound in heaven. And what you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's one of the most misunderstood or misinterpreted phrases in the whole New Testament. Because if you're like me, there's always that tendency to think of heaven as somewhere out there or up there. Put in your time and maybe you'll get to heaven. Heaven is the finish line. That's not the way they would have understood it in Jesus' day, and that's not the way Jesus himself talked about it most of the time. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's something here that is transformative right now. And you, Mr. and Mrs. Follower of Jesus, you are a part of that transformation if you will first let yourself be transformed. So when a priest goes off the rails and treats his own staff or parishioners with disdain, it's a horrible violation of that trust which is placed in him.
And so when Jesus says to Peter, what you hold bound on earth will be bound in heaven, yes, I get it. We tend to interpret that in terms of, well, this is kind of what makes Peter the first pope, and this has to do with the sacrament of reconciliation, and we all know the image of Peter at the pearly gates, and he checks the list. But what does that really mean? Does that mean God has to check with Peter to see whether or not you made the cut? It's not Peter who makes the decision. I think there's a little bit more serious message under that where Jesus is reminding Peter, what you hold on to here, who you bind here, and maybe that's your own heart that'll be bound, that really is a blot on the kingdom, the kingdom which is in-breaking here even on earth. And what you loose, what you set free here, Peter. There's going to be a beautiful freedom here in the kingdom at hand, which is in-breaking. No, they weren't idiots. They knew that this wasn't the fullness of paradise. But when Jesus and the other first century, even Jews, certainly Christians, talked about that idea of the kingdom, it was a process and a transformation that was meant to be seen right here, this side of the grave. And so I think it's just an invitation for us to simply think about who am I binding these days? And oftentimes the binding is of ourselves. Of course, we don't desire that. That's not what we intend. We don't wake up in the morning and say, how can I bind this church? It happens for lots of reasons. And one of the biggest reasons is we can become isolated. Even if we're surrounded by lots of great people, we become isolated. We lose a sense of community. If you went on a little bit from the end of this gospel, you would see the famous scene where Jesus talks about what it means for him to be Messiah, that ultimately he will have to suffer and be rejected. And Peter can't handle that. And so what he does is he breaks community. He pulls Jesus aside quietly. And he argues with Jesus. He contests what Jesus says. He sets Jesus straight, so he thinks. And when Jesus corrects him, he brings him back into the community. Could almost be saying to Peter, Peter, you are binding yourself in an unholy way, and you are trying to bind everyone else. You're doing it for what you think are the best intentions, but you're doing it out of your own ego, out of your own self-perception. Let me broaden that perspective. Let me show you a different way of being in the world. And that ultimately is about freedom. And we don't have time here. This isn't a Bible study. But if you worked through the rest of the Gospels and then on into the rest of the New Testament, you would see this happening for Peter. You would see a mind that often argued with Jesus, was reluctant to accept Jesus' way of talking about things, and you see it broadening in a beautiful way until you meet the elder Peter writing his letters, and you see a freedom there that you hadn't seen before. And in that freedom is a loosing. And I think we really miss the boat if all we think about is this gospel being some sort of precursor of Peter as the keeper of the pearly gates. So just a little spiritual exercise, maybe where are the decisions we're making these days that are binding? What are the relationships perhaps we're binding because of our own shame or resentment or sadness or bitterness? 
Or whom do we know that maybe is binding us or others? And then just to pray for the grace and the courage to act in a way that brings some freedom there. It's not easy to do, I know that. That's why grace matters. And to take a page from Peter's life, ask yourself, how am I doing with community these days? Because a lot of times, what it is that gives us the freedom to let go of holding on to those reins so tightly is to have a sense of support and a wider perspective that people who love us and know us and trust us can bring. Freedom, community, freeing, loosing, they all go together. It's not just about what you hold on to or let go of in the afterlife. It's very much about freedom or confinement right here and now in our lives.